Buddhist Geeks. Seriously Buddhist, seriously geeky. Episode 177, Working with Sexual Energy. We're joined by Insight Meditation teacher Christopher Titmus to continue our exploration of the incredibly powerful and often challenging realm of human sexuality. This is part two of a two-part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. I know this may be a little bit more subtle than what you've been describing, but I, I guess I also have a question about not even in intimate relationships where no. people may choose to make love, but also the questions around my sexuality in the world, just on a, a daily basis of meeting people, of seeing people, of interacting with people, how sexual energy is used or moves between people. And uh, yeah. if you could say a little bit about that, because that seems like a subtle and sometimes confusing area as well. Yes. Um, when we were monks, when I was a monk, there was a story, I mean, some of these Buddhist monk stories have been doing around for centuries. So one of them was, the monk was on the begging ground, you know, in the morning at dawn, he used to go out across the rice paddies and through the tracks to the farmhouses or the villages to collect our food for the morning with the begging bowl. So this story has gone from generation to generation. I think it's probably a thousand years old. So the monk goes out in the begging ground and this incredibly beautiful woman comes running by him and she spots the monk and she gives him a huge smile and uh, carries on. Two or three minutes later, this young guy comes rushing by. He sees the monk and he says to the monk, laughing, he says, did you see this beautiful woman just go by? And the monk, this kind of austere, detached way, says, no, I just saw a set of teeth go by. <laughs> and the monks used to love this story as a kind of confirmation of detachment. <laughs> you, know, which, you know, it's a bit wacky, but, you know, this is monk's life. It's rather a wacky way of life. One of the old monks in our monastery was literally 92 years of age. And, but a very hardcore meditator and did his walking and his sitting and when he walked, he walked incredibly upright. So one day I remember, this was in the, the monastery Wat Chai Na in Nakhon Sri Tamarat in the south of Thailand. And so the young monks, including me, I was in my mid to late 20s, we were sitting under the tree with him, and I had an interpreter with me, and we were asking this very old monk some Dharma questions. And one of the questions we said to him was, Long Po, means elder brother, Long Po, you're 92. You haven't got much to look forward to, have you? You know, so when you're meditating and your mind wanders, what does it wander to? He replied, sex. And we just roared. And the monk said, 
Well said, well said, well said. And and he was a very lovely and, and quite saintly uh, monk, beautiful woman, a very lovely, beautiful presence about him. In the subtlety of daily life, men and women of any age, I mean any age, including 92-year-olds, let alone 19-year-olds, will feel the, um, what should we say, the feeling of eros, the contact with the eye, the interest in the person, the sensual presence of another. My God, we're human beings. That sensation brought pretty well all of us into this world. It's a powerful energy. That's why the population keeps growing. And I get concerned when it's used or perceived by these Buddhists. In fact, by religion in general. There are some exceptions in the Tantra, Orthodox, genuine Tantra tradition, not the hijacked form we know about. In the Indian tradition of Krishna and Radha and Brahma and Sita and Shiva and Pavati, where the romance of life, the eros of life is spiritual and great stories to express it. But generally speaking, Buddhist, Middle Eastern religion simply do not know how to handle the feeling of sensuality of the presence of another, usually seeing and hearing. Occasionally smell too, of course. And I say, this is normal, this is life, this is healthy, there's nothing problematic in it whatsoever. And if one knows one's a little vulnerable in these areas, then one has just to be mindful of what we say and what the voice is and what the intentions and the attitude are. And all our practice has to come in so we don't create a confused situation. And sometimes, I know for myself over the years, sometimes one has. And one makes mistakes and one gets get into hot water about it. But that's part of practice. It's part of the learning process that we have to ensure that the sensual life is not repressed or thrown out, but is treated very respectfully and therefore it is in the engagement with the other. Mm -hmm. And do you find, uh, have you found that certain things come about when that type of energy, which is so powerful, is, is repressed, is pushed away or pushed down somehow? Definitely. There, there, I've read psychology, obviously, bucket loads of it, read a lot of uh, Freud analysis, and I didn't take a view of, how should we say, that the root of everything is sexual desire. I just don't think that is true, that there are many uh, men and women who live a celibate life. I live in a street of 56 houses, there's lots of men and women in the street who are not in relationship, living quite happy lives and getting on with their life rather well and then not having any sexual uh, life but when it's repressed repressed means i want and i can't have or i shouldn't want one's got a morally judgmental view or interprets 
sexual desire in terms of something bad or guilty in some way or other and it's blocked off rather than learn to experience and to uh, understand the typical outcomes that come. One of them is moral judgments about other people. That's for sure. The tendency towards seeing things in moral absolutes, which is right and wrong. And the Buddhist world and Buddhist institutions, West and East, will often settle, my observation and experience, for the simplicity of viewpoint of right and wrong, finding fault, name and shame, this kind of uh, viewpoint. So the moral absolutes tend to come in, and the other is power, which is not totally unrelated. And I, I noticed this especially in the, uh, the monastery, but also uh, outside of it, that sometimes uh, men and women are not at ease with sexuality and sensuality and uh, eros, but just not at ease with it, then the mindset easily wants to be in control. Power and authority get an exaggerated importance. And some pressure seems to go on there when something else is being repressed inside somewhere else. So the moral certainties and power and control seem to be two of the outcomes of people who are not handling their um, sensuality, their sexuality, their romantic feelings of life very well. That makes a lot of sense. Wrapping this conversation up, are there any other important things that you would want to mention or you would say to a group of people listening to a show called Buddhist Geeks and who clearly are mostly householders and mostly are living sexually engaged lives? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Um, Just before we uh, started, I just speaking about the word uh, geeks, and thank you for very clear explanation. I do think it's incredibly important and helpful for there to be plenty of Buddhist geeks around. So with most things in life, many things in life, there's an immense plus, and, but one has to be aware of the Achilles heel. Hmm? Oh, put it in the kind of Buddha language for a moment. There's value but to be mindful of the limitations. So what I have in mind here, there are people who have incredible uh, love of Dharma practice and very committed to it, and long going with it, of course, a lot of excellent technological knowledge. People like me who are hopeless. Uh, I, I can use my Word documents on my computer I can just about keep up to date some of my uh, websites and do a bit of uh, writing, but anything which is remotely sophisticated in terms of technology is out of my league. The person who looks after my computers, in fact, I'll ask him if he describes himself as a Buddhist geek, but he was a Buddhist monk for 16 or 17 years, disrobed, 
and now looks after numerous websites here in Totnes, where I live, and the guy house, um, computers, etc., etc. And that's an incredibly important service, you know, people who have good knowledge of technology, and thank goodness for you all. What one has to be careful about is too much in the world of technology, information, the small screen, television, computer, or cinema too, could be um, reducing the heart life, the feeling life. And there can be, for some, a bit of a gap between the mind, which is the Buddha encourages the development of the mind. There's many discourses on the value of the development of the mind, but equally gives equal emphasis to the value of the heart, the development of the heart. And in a way, our, your questions today address matters of the heart, matters of the body, sexual energy and touch, and matters of the mind being clear about the whole process, both for oneself and another. If we're too much in one area, if the geek has a, what should we say, a capital G to it, rather than the small one, the probability is that feeling life will get neglected. And if it gets neglected, and then suddenly we meet somebody, and there's the touch, and the arising of strong, pleasant feelings, there's interest and curiosity, etc. We have to know ourselves and be watchful whether if the impact is too strong, we'll get caught up almost for sure in some incredible story. And the story becomes the fantasy. And women pick up, uh, and men, on any kind of... Um, pressure in those areas. And the other is, we can get out of touch with our feeling life, because we're too much in the uh, world of information, technology, and knowledge. And then we wonder why we're not in a relationship, why it isn't happening for us. And that's because the heart's not simply not getting the opportunity to develop. And Sometimes the partner or the potential partner wants to be with somebody who, yes, has knowledge, but also has a lot of heart. So we have to be quite clear with ourselves. Is my mind ahead of my heart? Is so much being given to my mind, it's at expense of the heart. And that dialogue of heart and head is an ongoing one. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, 
and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.